Welcome to the Future Accords on KTUH University of Hawaii Radio for the cultural and educational enrichment of the students of Hawaii as well as the global community. On this show, we will interview thought leaders to hear about their past, present, and hopes for the future. Join us as we dive into topics around the five P's of sustainable development, people, planet, prosperity, peace, and partnerships. I'm your host, Ari Eisenstadt, and let's explore the future together. Aloha, and welcome to the Future Accords. This is Ari Eisenstadt, and today we have a very special guest. We have Tua Pittman here, who is a traditional ocean navigator. Tua, thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, kia ora, Ari. Good to be here. So you are an, a master traditional navigator with the Polynesian Voyaging Society. What What is traditional navigation? Well... Traditional navigation is uh, is primarily being able to observe everything that's going on around you when you're at the on the ocean, um, and being able to use all the elements to guide a traditional voyaging canoe from one island, one island to the other. So using the stars, the sun, the moon, the swells, the birds, the currents, the winds. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to learn all about that. But first, let's learn more about you and your past experiences and how you really got into this incredible work. Um, first of all, where are you from? Where where did you grow up and learn about all this? Well, I'm from the Cook Islands. Uh, the Cook Islands is a small group uh, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. For those of you who are not familiar with that, it's uh, in between Tahiti and Samoa. And... Um, I first got involved with voyaging canoes when Hokulea from Hawaii traveled down on the voyage rediscovery from from Hawaii to Tahiti and then um, ended up in the Cook Islands and then from there continued on to New Zealand. Wow. And so what was it like learning uh, to be a navigator and getting involved with the organization? Well, the thing thing was it's um, Hokulea has been... Um, an icon in songs and chant and um, you know in, in Polynesian culture and Pacific Island culture, all of our all of what we know was contained in the stories and the songs and the chants. And the very first thing I heard of in a song was about this canoe called Hokulea, which sailed from Hawaii to Tahiti uh, without any navigational aids and uh, just navigating traditionally, and they were going to come to the Cook Islands. So. I was fascinated, and um, I sat down there, and I watched this canoe, and it arrived in the Cooks. And uh, this is when I got to meet uh, Mao Pi Lug uh, from Micronesia, um, Nainoa Thompson, and many, many other um, crew members from from, this, the, from the Polynesian Voyaging Society and from Hawaii. And the, the amazing thing is, you know, when they came in, they were Manuiri or... They were um, visitors or strangers to our shores. Now we are one family because we have this connection through the ocean, through the canoes, and then eventually from spending time together, we find out that there's a lot of blood relationship as well. Genealogies start to match. That's beautiful. And can you talk more about that that history of Polynesia, of the tradition of voyaging, and, and how this recent revitalization of the practice really came to be? Well, um, back in in the early 70s, um, and I'm sure a lot of the, the people of Hawaii are familiar with uh, Hokulea coming together, building a canoe, a replica of a traditional voyaging canoe, um, 60 foot long, 
and wanting to sail this canoe from Hawaii to Tahiti. Um, they wanted to do it as traditional as possible. They didn't have a, a navigator. They uh, were able to to find Mao Pi Lug, which came on board, and navigated the first canoe down to, to Tahiti with uh, a bunch of Hawaiian men who were the first pioneers of of re the reawakening of, of uh, our traditional culture of voyaging. And then since then, um, Nainoa Thompson picked up the mantle and the Polynesian Voyaging Society did a voyage rediscovery, sewing a lay of islands together, going through the Cook Islands, down to Aotearoa, back through Tonga Samoa, and then back through Tahiti, and then up to Hawaii. And that's when the other islands saw this canoe and decided, well... Let's wake ourselves up. Let's build more canoes. And we have, and to a point where we've been able to sail our own canoes back to Hawaii to say thank you for waking us up. And what is the training process for, for the crews that want to do some one of these voyages? Well, you know, it's, it's up to the inv individual, really, because uh, there's, there's a lot of people uh, do not have a very strong connection with the ocean. Um, but... It's the canoe that picks the crew member. The ocean picks the crew member. If you, the canoe, the ocean, and the person, the individual themselves, gel and they are able to cope with each other, then the learning process starts. Because, and um, you know, the a lot of the our people on land, they 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 fall in love with this notion of going out on a voyaging canoe. So they see the canoe leave and they see the canoe arrive, but they have no idea what goes on in between. And there's a lot of hard work that goes into it, uh, you know, ha having to to battle the the elements, whether it be very rough weather or whether it be no wind and no motion whatsoever. Um, both can be very frustrating. But if you have an understanding of what the ocean's all about yeah, and, and be patient, um, you can get to your destination um, just through being consistent, being um, disciplined. Um, and being prepared. The preparation before a voyage is is paramount. You've got to have safety, preparation, and ensuring that your crew are taken care of and the canoe is safe and, and ready to sail. So what was your f first voyage, and what was that like? Well, that's a voyage I'd like to forget, because um, <laughs> I, I uh, was asked by um, the Polynesian Voyage Society um, Pinky Thompson, Lainor's father, uh, rang me up and asked me if I would like to be a crew member on the voyage from American Samoa to the Cook Islands. Now, with Hokulea during the voyage of rediscovery, they wanted to have an indigenous person of the destination that they were going to on board. So when they sailed from uh, Tahiti to the Cooks, they had a Cook Islander on board. From the Cooks to New Zealand, they had a New Zealander on board, and so forth to Tonga, Tonga on board, to Samoa, Samoa on board. And eventually they wanted another Cook Islander from Samoa to um, the Cook Islands, and I was, I was picked. And I was one of those people that was in love with the fascination of being on a voyaging canoe. And I got on board, I wasn't prepared, and we had some pretty rough weather along the way. By the time we got to the Cook Islands, I just wanted to get off. <laughs> That was, a, and you know, that was my way. That was my that was my learning curve, and that was uh, my preparation. It was kind of like a slap over the ear, 
by the elements and by by the spirits really saying hey if you want to do this you got to be a little bit more committed you got to be a little bit more um, aware of what's going on around you so when I got off the canoe I swore I would never get back on until I had time to recollect my thoughts and I thought well you know what it's not the voyage that was the problem I was the problem so I had to step up again and then the Polynesian Voyaging Society called me up again and said, can you be on board the canoe from French Polynesia to Hawaii? And of course I said yes, and there's been no looking back since then. Wow. What was that next voyage like? What was the learning process then going from that first introduction to then getting that experience? Yes, well, that that's um, what turned my whole life around. Is I, I went from my want of being just a crew member to an area of wanting to know more. I was hungry for more knowledge. I, I, I wanted to know uh, more about not just the voyaging itself and not just the navigation, but more about who I am. And um, eventually I was uh, chosen to do a training, go through a training program um, to become a navigator, along with a lot of others from the Pacific. And we all came together, we came to Hawaii, uh, we came under the wing of uh, Nainoa Thompson and many other voyagers and navigators uh, from Hawaii, and we went through a big training process, which took uh, a few years uh, until such time that we were um, confident enough to sail our own canoes and voyage without traditional um, instruments from our islands back to, to um, Hawaii. And we did that. In uh, 1995, I think it was, was it 2005? We sailed a fleet of canoes from New Zealand, from the Cook Islands, uh, with three canoes from Hawaii, from uh, Tahiti to the Marquesas and the Marquesas to uh, to Hawaii, and that that there was was our stepping stone. We that that was where we qualified um, to become navigators before then we were apprentice and the fact that we were able to get our canoes from from the Marquesas to Hawaii without uh, any navigational aids the, there's, uh, the crew members all arrived safe the canoes arrived safely um, was uh, was a, was a huge uh, you know we, we we as as the students what really wanted to pay we want to pay tribute to the likes of Nainoa Thompson and and Mao Piai look for for passing on their knowledge and um, making us better people, made me a better person. Amazing. So what does it mean to not have navigational aid? What what are you using to really find your way across these huge voyages? Yeah, so we, we went through a training process of being able to identify the rising and setting points of different stars in the night sky. Um, Mao had a star compass that he had passed that had been passed on to him over over centuries and over 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 years um, and this star compass um, identified the brightest stars in the night sky where they rose from and where they set where the sun rose from and where it sets the moon where it rose from and where it sets and Nainoa was able to come up with another concept that we were able to digitize so that we could have a, a, like a, a learning system that we could we could use and we spent a lot of time 
relating this star compass to the night sky, being out in the elements um, for hours on end, just watching where the stars rise from and watching where they set, watching where and all the different stars. Um, being able to identify the, the, the swell patterns on the ocean, um, being able to and understand the sails and the, the, the rigging systems and the, to be able to keep a steady course and a straight course, um, being able to look after a, a bunch of crew members on board and make sure that they're, that they're in good spirits and, um, and are able to, to take on the chores that they have. But in, in terms of the, the navigation itself, the, it's not just the navigation. It's just being able to, I mean, if, you are, if you're able to observe everything that's going on around you, the, the change in the colors in the sky, the change of the direction of the wind, um, that what, what type of swell is, is acting on your canoe, um, being able to know where the stars are in the night sky, even in an overcast conditions, um, and being able to stay awake and observe all of this as it's happening. Um, that's what the navigation is all about. And that's, what the, that's the navigator's role. The crew members also have a very important role of keeping the canoe functional and, and to make sure that that vessel is in tip-top condition to get the 12 to 16 bodies on board from one island to the other island safely. So... We've got this concept of, you know, you have to look after your canoe. Your canoe is your mother, you know, and uh, and she will get you from one place to the other safely if you look after her. Beautiful. So up to 16 people on a canoe, how big are these canoes? What, what is it like to to really live on on this this mini island? Yes, well, you know, the, the canoe ranges from, let's take Hokulea. Hokulea, for example, is 60 foot long. And it's about 20 feet across, I think it is, or 18 maybe. And it has two hulls. The, the crew members sleep in the hulls. The food is stored underneath the bunks, the, a platform that the crew members sleep on. Um, they have cover um, to help block out the elements. And the crew members stand a watch um, right throughout the 24 hours. So some are in bed, some are, some are out on deck, and we're just switching as we go. And, um, of course, you know, you have to eat. So we, we, we have our designated fishermen that, uh, that, that fish along the way. Um, it's a platform that works really well. And uh, this, the crew members that come on board are aware of, of what is required of them. And the fact that 12 to 16 people have to be able to get on well with each other. If there's a situation where they, this, they, they're not able to, to get on with each other, then the navigator and the captain will need to step in to help pacify the situation. So we look at, uh, we, we look at our canoe as being an island and uh, the crew members are the community. And the leadership is the navigator and the captain. So they give the command, the community put everything into place, the island is safe. And if you take that concept and you relate it to, a to an island, the island is the canoe, the community on that island is, are the crew members, and government 
is the administration, is so the the navigator, and the the captain. So if the administration make the right decisions, the community is able to function better, or function well, and the island or the canoe is is kept safe. And that's and if we we just keep that logic, it it tends to work. It's a great metaphor. How many voyages have you been on? What have been the longest voyages that you've participated in? Um, I've been on a few. Uh, I can't count how many miles I've sailed over the years, but there are many of us um, that have been around sailing these different canoes have sailed thousands and thousands of miles. Um, the longest voyage for me was 32 days, give or take. Um, and that was from Galapagos to Tahiti. Um, but there have been there have been some long voyages out there. Um, that Galapagos to Tahiti voyage was a very very long one, um, given that seven of those days we were becalmed and there was no wind and no nothing, so we was we were stuck for a while. Wow! And what is it like when you when you go to these places, when you dock and you meet with these communities and you educate them? What what is that experience like? For us, you know, the, the, the voyaging canoe is an icon of our existence. Um, this canoe is what got us from one place to another. And then when we arrive, I mean, in, in all of our cultures, we didn't have a written culture. It was all verbal. It was all oral. It was recorded in songs, chants, um, in stories. And we bring different cultures together with us. And, and when we get to different islands or be it, be it different countries... We take we take this culture with us, and we sing the songs to them, and they sing their songs back. And um, for many of the other countries in the world, like for instance, with the Malamahonua voyage of which Hokulea sailed around the world, um, they touched on a lot of shores who had never seen Polynesian voyaging canoe before ever, and never knew of a Polynesian culture before. So it was a way of highlighting to everybody who we are and be able to tell them our stories, but also at the same time, collect stories that they have that are consistent with, with the stories that we have, you know, and there's a lot of connections, um, which come down to the, the Austronesian and the, the Pacific migration from the very early days of dropping down from, from Taiwan or Southeast Asia and down into Polynesia eventually, and then across to South America. Um, so we're, we're able to get a lot of uh, connections with many other tribes and, and peoples. And uh, that's been a very, very enriching thing for us. And what does Malama Honua mean? Um, Malama Honua means um, looking after island earth. Uh, Malama means to look after, to take care of. And Honua means a land or island. Or we, in, in Polynesia, we relate Earth, planet Earth, as not being a planet, but being an, a, a big island that we can relate to and that we really need to take care of. And when you put it that way, you know, as much as I'm an islander, you're an islander yourself because you belong to island Earth. You are part of island Earth. And uh, which, which brings about the beauty of where the canoe is going to next. And, and how it's it's represents the Pacific Island cultures to the rest of the world. So it's more than just sharing the culture. It's really also an environmental message. Yes, exactly. Um, the first 
the earlier stages of um, the reawakening of voyaging was all about understanding our canoes again, being able to understand how they're built, how they're formed, how we how to sail them, and then um, then then it was bringing back the navigation, um, understanding how the elements and and the sense of observation. And, and understanding what the elements are doing can help take that vessel from one place to another. And then the other was was um, looking after the community, looking after the crew members. And then once all of this was solid and then we, we'd sailed so many times and we've, we've been able to pass on the knowledge to the next generation and we're still sailing, now we can turn um, our traditional practices of not just voyaging but looking after the land, looking after lagoons, looking after the ocean. How did we, how did we used to do it in the old days? How can we relate that to what's happening in the, in, on island Earth right now? So our canoes now, uh, we see them as being a platform of combining our traditional knowledge with the science of today. So taking on board um, the likes of global warming, um, the likes of... Um, uh, rising sea levels, um, acidification, um, the coral reefs, the dying coral reefs, um, taking on all the scientific facts of what's happening now in the present day, and then going back and learning how did we take care of it in the old day. Um, and after a lot of research and after a lot of study in the chants and the songs and the traditions of, of old, we find that they had a system in place already. They were already looking after all of these entities, the land, the lagoon, and the ocean. They were always ensuring that they had, uh, we call it the rahui, which is they, they would corner off sections of the lagoon. You could only fish in one certain area for this year, and then and for, for a season of maybe three to four years, a certain area would be blocked off so that it could rejuvenate and... So, um, uh, we you find that um, not only were our ancestors wise people, they were scientists in their own right. They were explorers in their own right in terms of the early uh, migration and voyaging. And they were also scientists. They understood the ocean. They understood what the moon was doing, how it rose the tides and dropped the tides. They understood what season by, by, identify, by, by identifying the seasonal star patterns, they... They understood when it was the right time to plant and when it was the right time to harvest. They set their calendars by the rising, the rising stars and the setting stars. Um, so when you, when you say traditional navigation, it's not just that. It's not just navigating on the ocean. It's also being able to navigate through community to be able to, to, be able to keep your community together and, and show them the right way and... You know, after a while, we don't even know, we don't realize that what we've been doing has actually been a science in itself. And it's so satisfying to sail a canoe from one place to the other, see what's happening in the ocean um, some 40 years ago, and relate it to what's happening in the ocean now. Um, and to be able to take a lot of the science, like... Hikiana Lian Hokule did with dragging plankton nets and understanding um, what is in the gut 
of a fish once we catch it and, and studying this and sending information back to to the labs to 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 come up with results and so forth so it's you know the world is changing but our tradition will always be the same it's just that we're connecting with the science of today Wow. Well, I, I would love to hear more of your thoughts on your vision for the future of this, but I also want to ask, um, you're a navigator and a voyager with the National Geographic Cruises also. Um, so what is it like going from these traditional canoes um, to these huge cruise ships uh, and and being an educator for a completely different community that has no training? What is that contrast like? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you, when you find... Um, can you just imagine the look on the guests, the people that actually paid to go on these ships to um, faraway places when they turn up on a ship in Greenland and Iceland and the ship is heading up into the the Canadian Arctic that there's a Polynesian man on board that will be talking to them. I mean, they were they were like they were astonished. My role was to enlighten them on who the Pacific people are and the connections with the ocean. So um, to be up there in the Arctic Ocean was a huge education for me. But when you relate it, not so much just the ocean, I, I was touching on the, the human aspect um, in, and, and um, sharing with them the similarities and the differences between the Vikings and the Polynesians. You know, their, their, their longships and our voyaging canoes, their navigation, our navigation, their spirituality, our spirituality, um, there are a lot of similarities, even though we were from different parts of the world. Um, that was uh, that was huge for a lot of the lot of the people on board. They they never heard of Polynesia before, but then they never heard of all these other factors of 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 the Viking life as well. Um, and then there's the connection with the Inuit people as we got further up into the Arctic. So that's the that's the that's the connection with the people themselves. But then, I was all, always able to talk to them about having an awareness of everything that's going on around you. So when I'm driving a zodiac up the fjord somewhere, and then there's huge layers of ice coming down, everybody's going wow, whoa. But being a person that's used to being on a voyaging canoe and being in control of a situation, you have to. Keep an eye on how big these icebergs are. What's what? Where is the danger? What's where's the way out? If things should build up, look out on the horizon. Is there a wind building up? Um, um, where's the sun? Um, how do, where's the ship? How do I get back to my destination, or, or my or origin? The skills that we learn from being on a traditional voyaging canoe apply everywhere. And when when we have guests on um, zodiacs and ships like this that have no idea. They felt it very comforting to have a Polynesian on board driving them around um, because they said, well, if we get lost, you can find us. Uh, you can find our way home. They said, well, that's not that easy. <laughs> but um, just, the, just what uh, Lindblad Expeditions and National Geographic represent in terms of... Um, what's happening to the world and our oceans, not just um, in Polynesia and the Pacific Ocean, but also in the Arctic and the Atlantic and the Indian Ocean and, and bringing to the fore um, the issues that we're having in the ocean is, uh, is, is uh, 
is a great thing to be associated with. And um, so I was able to take our Polynesian traditions, um, compare it with the Viking and the Inuit um, cultures and traditions, and then understand the science of what National Geographic and Lindblad expeditions are all about and combine them all together to make one big story. And a lot of the guests on board, when they, when they left, they were just flabbergasted, you know. Yes, they had the geologists talking and the naturalists talking and the bi marine biologists talking, but they were very connected with the fact that um, when I shared with them that, hi, I'm an islander, but you're an islander too, and that they all belong to Island Earth. So, you know, a lot of these people came away from that experience understanding that they had, they, they had a better awareness of what they need to do to make this place a better place. Wow. So in, in thinking about your vision for the future, what, what do you think is the best case scenario for this new type of experiential education and really advocacy for this global sustainability? Yeah, well, you know, there's, there's so many foundations and so many um, other agencies that are going out there and pushing, and they, which is a good thing. For the, the Voyaging Canoe, uh, I, I think we, we have our place. Um, in terms of bringing about a huge awareness. And, and the thing is, our focus is, yes, island earth, but it's we, we need to to come back and focus on our own Pacific Ocean. Um, do do our people really know now, the, the modern, in this modern day, how to look after their islands or what they, can, what they need to do to make it a better place to live in? Um, and I don't know, I mean... Other entities and, and foundations are, are leading the way. Our role um, from where we come from is to, to be a role of support, but not necessarily just that. I mean, we can also lead by carrying a very strong and powerful message of, of the, the fact that uh, we live in the biggest ocean on, on planet Earth, on island Earth. And um, if we don't step up and make a noise to the rest of the world, um, they don't even know we exist here. And um, which is why when you sail into a place on a voyaging canoe, they've had foundations come and speak to them before, and they've had a lot of foundations come and speak to them before, but they've never seen a powerful group of people arrive on a voyaging canoe, which first of all captures their interest, and then we talk about the same issues that other entities have spoken about, and they listen. Uh, and that's because they can see um, a, a proud group of people who are actually getting out there and doing it um, in the old way, but relating it to our future and where we're heading to. How inspiring. So what's next for you? And what are some projects that these organizations are working on that you're excited about? We've got the Pacific Arts Festival that's coming up now, and the Pacific Arts Festival is being hosted by Hawaii. And this is the, I would say, you could relate it to being um, the Olympic Games of Pacific Islands culture, where every discipline in, in traditional culture of all the islands of the Pacific, Melanesia, Micronesia, and Polynesia, come together to highlight their culture. So the weavers, the carvers, the dancers, the orators, the playwrights, the, the voyagers, the, uh, the coconut tree climbers, and 
you know, they're not coming to Hawaii to put on a show for the tourists. They're coming here to share their culture with each other. Now, the voyaging canoes are looking at sailing from their islands to this event, and it'll be a, a gathering of quite a few canoes. And um, the idea is to bring all these canoes together and to to um, have all the leadership sit down and go, okay, where to from here? And um, I'm sure that there are some plans in place or being put together now as I speak, but I... You know, I, I won't bring that up, bring that up right now because uh, you know there's still a lot of finalization to go. Well, when is that supposed to be? Um, the arts festivals from June the 10th of June to the 20th of June 2020, being held on Oahu. Um, if you're listening in, now's the time to book a hotel because this place is going to be crowded. But um, you know, in in terms of um, being involved and and to be able to highlight. Um, these environmental issues we have, um, I think everybody has a place. And uh, I think the, the, the voyagers, the navigators, the voyagers, the canoes, the leadership, um, and, and the likes of um, Nainor Thompson, who's carving the way and, and leading us in a direction of, of uh, ensuring that we tell the right story we, we, um, and we connect with the right people to to make a difference. That's great. So if someone wants to get involved to learn more, if they want to start the path of becoming a navigator, what would you recommend to them? Well, there's a lot of voyaging societies around the Pacific. Um, there's voyaging canoes in New Zealand. Um, there's, um, of course, there's voyaging canoes right throughout Hawaii. And they're always looking for people to come on board, people who are dedicated, people who want to learn, people, people who are ready to humble themselves and listen and understand that being part of this is all about the canoe and about family. It's not about oneself. And uh, the Polynesian Voyaging Canoe has uh, on Sand Island, they have their, their headquarters there, they have uh, three canoes down there, and they also have a, a smaller educational canoe. There's uh, little um, canoes on the island that, that uh, provide... Um, training for young children. Um, there's, uh, there's navigational schools on the island uh, for, for the young ones who want to learn. Um, it, and um, there's foundations in New Zealand, there's foundations in, and there's voyaging societies in Cook Islands, Tahiti, Fiji, Samoa. So if you're in any of these places, approach these voyaging societies because they're always keen to have crew members. Um, and... Yeah, if if you feel in your heart that you want to be a part of one of the of of uh, uh, the voyaging fraternity, please you know, come on down. Amazing. Well, I certainly hope to, and I, I think many of our listeners will as well. Uh, Tua, thank you so much. It's really such an honor to hear uh, your wisdom and experience. Uh, we really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much. Mahalo, aloha. Mm-hmm.